Hello and welcome to One for the Books. I'm Jacinta. And I'm Emma. One for the Books is a podcast for everyone. Whether you love reading or your idea of a book is a glossy mag, we have recommendations to kickstart your book club. Part book club, ultimate reckless, and catch up with your friends. Welcome to episode six. I'm really excited for this one. This is one we've kind of teased before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, so today we're going to be talking uh, about the books that we disagree on mm-hmm. and um, I'm quite critical. It was very easy for me to be like, no, I hate <laughs> that book, I hate that book, I hate that book. But you, you said you were struggling a little bit. Yeah, I feel like if I don't like a book, I just, because I read so many at a time, I just don't finish it. But so, I really respect that. I'm one of those chronic, like, have to finish a book if I start it. And I feel like it's such a fucking waste of time. But I have yeah. preemptive FOMO of, like, what if I put it down and it gets good? Like, and then, like, the, you, like, miss mm. on this, like, massive twist that made it totally. all kind of make sense. But then I feel like if you went through my Goodreads um, back catalogue or whatever, literally I give everything, <laughs> like, a minimum of four-star reviews. I think one of my friends um, described herself and she was saying she reviews books like she um, reviews, like, Uber drivers. Like, everyone just gets five stars. And I've never related to anything more than that. That's a perfect description. Yeah, that's me. I'm like, it's a bit shit. Four and a half. <laughs> like, you would have no idea that I hated some of the books I hated. So if I hate a book, I'm like, ooh, maybe three stars. But that feels a bit mean. Because you, you, like, invest so much time yes. in a book. So it's kind of heartbreaking to give it something. I know. So I understand that. Yeah. I yeah. think there's been one book I literally gave zero stars um all right do you want to kick things off with your yeah this is one of your favorite books of all time oh yeah so (laughs) this is one that hurts my heart a little bit so I definitely have the controversial opinion here and I I agree I agree (laughs) I fully acknowledge that it's me that's the weirdo it sometimes makes me question our friendship (laughs) (laughs) so um Probably one of my all-time favourite book series is The Neapolitan Novels by Eleanor Ferrante. Uh, even the first book, My Brilliant Friend, I think that's one you've read. I've only read one because I hated it so much. Yeah, <laughs> I just, this book series means so much to me. It follows friends Eleanor and Leela growing up in the 50s in like the outskirts of Naples, incredibly poor neighborhood i thought you said porn neighborhood and i was like what the fuck is porn. a porn neighborhood oh my god i have the worst hearing sorry no it was Continue. probably me just poor not being neighborhood those words can't really be connected together <laughs> it was probably me not being I'm just is that in the book i probably would have kept reading <laughs> and this area is just incredibly bleak their lives are quite violent yeah it can be a bit confronting in that way I don't want to limit it down to just a book about female friendships because it feels like so much more it's about class and the impact of education and yeah all contained in this neighborhood and how it changes over a number of years but it's like yeah it's like a coming of age and how that interplays with friendships and how friendships grow and change yeah based on lots of different factors including violence against women and living in a very poor so socioeconomic area and like lack of education like it's a bit of everything I think Eleanor Ferrante is a brilliant writer and I love it as a standalone book but there is this other layer to me so my mum's family grew up maybe half an hour away from where this is set no way yeah 
and in that period of time as well. So okay. it, it, it's so familiar to me and it's so real. Everything yeah. from the names, the dialect, the experiences, a lot of it informs my life now. So there is this extra element that's super, super personal to me. Yeah. So much about it is how the two girls, their lives differ because of their education opportunities. And that's kind of something that was always drummed into me. Like, mm. we're in Australia because you can have more opportunities. And I grew up hearing about my grandmother only being able to go up to grade three and that. Right. And I've seen the effects of that in my own family. So it's something that's very real to me and very personal. Mm. And then, above all, it's just a beautiful book. So... Now I feel even fucking <laughs> reading this book. Well, I'm like, wow, I am a cold-hearted I, bitch. I talked to someone about it, and I think the first book has this problem. She just introduces so many characters. Oh, like it's it is confusing. A lot, which pays off because so Eleanor Fronte wrote it as if these four books are one novel. Right. So all of these characters, they do pay off afterwards, but it sure. does, it's hard. There's like a family yeah. list in front of the book and you do have to keep flipping to it because there's a lot of people. Yeah, it's almost worse than Game of Thrones when yeah. you're like, why are there five million characters I have to get to know? Yeah, and that's what I've heard from a lot of people. It's hard to keep. I also just, I didn't find it relatable in the sense, not because it, like I have no understanding of that as a first experience, which obviously I don't, and I don't have that same vivid kind of connection Mm. to it but I just didn't find either of the main characters yeah emotionally relatable like Mm. I didn't identify with them in any way which made it really hard to like give a shit about what happened to them not even like Eleanor and how she was always in the shadows a bit like a little bit but yeah I just found it's a the first book is relatively slow I would say yeah. And I feel like all the the most powerful things are all in the details. Yeah. And maybe I pick that up more because it's a world that I'm super familiar with. Yeah, maybe. And I also think this happens a lot in translations. I was about to say the same thing. I yeah. actually really struggle with translations where I feel like, A, context is so language mm. specific and culturally specific. Oh, 100%. That, that makes such a big difference for like how you interpret and experience yeah. a book. Well, clearly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's definitely part of it, potentially. Yeah. Um, like, I've definitely felt that when I've read books in French and then read the translation, translated versions mm. and been like, oh, I wouldn't, it's not how I would have translated that word or exactly. interpreted this scene if I'd read it first in English. Yeah, I feel like I've clearly missed something with these. Because I know Italian. I can, yeah. I can tell certain sentences why it's written that way because I understand Italian so grammar. so interesting, yeah, yeah. So what I found, like, so, not jarring, but so impactful for me is the use of dialect in similar mm. situations. The Neapolitan dialect is so specific. It's like you're talking in a different language. Yeah. And, like, I just thought that use was so interesting to me. So, mm. yeah, there's a lot of elements that I can relate to in my own life so understand how that might be a bit yeah what about their friendship no because it's it's almost like it's at the same time toxic and competitive but also something that gives them strength and encouragement I think it was those the duality of that that I struggled with though like oh okay the fact that they were so toxic and hated each other but then they would and I know that this is true when you're younger that like you oscillate between big extremes but Mm. it felt too jarring and too unrealistic to 
like do awful shit to each other or fucking hate each other one day and then all of a sudden like everything's fine and mm. they're talking about how much they love each other like literally in the next sentence or yeah. whatever. I just found that to me and my experiences of friendship, I found that really unrealistic and weird. See, Obviously, I've had friends since I was five. It is a complicated relationship. Maybe that's why because I definitely haven't maintained, I've had like my best friend I've had since early high school That's but I didn't young. really keep any friends from yeah primary school when I would have been around five yeah. so I guess my earliest friendship that I'm still maintaining yeah is from when I was like what 13 ish Okay. Which is probably, it's a very different age. You're a bit more self-actualized. So maybe that's why yeah. I just don't, I mean, not that I didn't have friends in primary <laughs> school, but like maybe different trying to navigate that together as you yeah. grow up and change. I guess that's something I relate mm. to as well because I love those people, but it is an interesting dynamic sometimes. Yeah. Because you just know so much of. There's no hiding. You can't, you can't lie to them kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, just didn't do it for me and I feel like I'm missing out on something but do you know what I recommend you watch the tv series really because I've not watched it because I wasn't sure whether I should like slog it out and try and read the other books or yeah I don't think don't try the books again (laughs) (laughs) maybe not except defeat okay (laughs) we'll do but it reminds me a bit of normal people and you didn't love the book as much as you loved the tv show show. i prefer conversations with friends over normal people which i again unpopular yeah (laughs) look at maybe the weird like (laughs) on my own person yeah it's kind of shot in a similar way it's very atmospheric yeah all the names and stuff make a lot more sense where you can put faces to names there's a lot of those like long shots on faces very similar to normal people in that way well i guess they've got to communicate complex emotions exactly words being said so that makes sense so it reminds me a bit of that so maybe try that i'll add it to the list (laughs) like i'll hate it less (laughs) (laughs) yeah i do acknowledge that there's that extra element of it being so familiar to me okay Oh, watch the show and get back to you and let you know. Do you like any other of Eleanor Ferrante or do you just... I have not read any others because that was yeah. the first, my first experience with yeah. her as an author. And I think it just coloured my view of her I think her she's so incredible. specifically yeah. that I was like, I can't... I just have discounted her entirely as an author because yeah. of it. But yeah. maybe I need to try... If you've got other Eleanor Ferrante... Well, Rex. you brought me one. Well, yeah, because I know that you love her. <laughs> so as much as like I do. <laughs> My Brilliant Friend by Eleanor Ferrante. I do I do recommend people read it. Okay. Because I think it's incredible. <laughs> it, everything, like, pays off in the end. <laughs> so boring. And maybe those... Yeah, maybe those details. I just found it a bit overkill on the details. See, I like that. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Preference. Yeah, subjective. That's the point, right? Yeah. Someone, like, lots of other... Also, again, I'm definitely the minority <laughs> not appreciating these the, books, Yeah, these so. are probably my all-time favorite books <laughs> sorry for hating your all-time favorite books um yeah so the book that i love there's caveats i think for both of the books that you don't like or hate mm. that were on my i've read these books list mm. um i read these a really long time ago so i think i still like them but i don't <laughs> know um all right so the first one is the curious incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon. Um, so a bit of context. The novel follows Christopher John Francis Boone, a 15-year-old boy who describes himself as a mathematician with some behavioural difficulties. Um, his condition's never really categorically talked about in the book outside of sort of the fact that he has social differences and struggles. 
the blurb does reference um, Asperger's, but um, I read recently actually that the author did an interview about five-ish years after the book was first published mm-hmm. um, saying it wasn't about Asperger's at all, but more about the differences in being an outsider, which is so weird because, A, I what? mean, the publishers probably worked on the blurb, but why would you leave that on the blurb? And, B, that was such a foundational part of this whole narrative. It was actually a really... That's actually one of the things I really loved about the book was I liked how differently he wrote it and the unique style of it, but I loved the character of Christopher and I liked that because he was narrating the story that you got to see inside, you got to see the world through his eyes and the Mm -hmm. way he experienced interactions Mm -hmm. and it sort of makes you recalculate your own perspectives and your own interpretations of different things and it sort of broadens your own perspectives around what it must be like to navigate this world it is very unique. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's written in a way that's really specific to this book. Which I can understand that that's what also probably makes it the most polarising. Exactly, yeah, polarising is the right word. Yeah. So I read this in school. It was really? like, it was one of our books we had to read. Oh, wow. And I forced myself to finish it, obviously. And yeah, I didn't love it. Was studying it part of the problem? Because sometimes I feel like you unpack books way too much when you study and then you just lose any sense of joy from it. Well, that's what I thought. And then I tried to read it again and then I couldn't finish it. Oh no. I just found it boring in a sense. And I feel bad because I I really, I really want to like it because it's such a unique kind of point of view. I can't judge. I hated like your favorite book all the time. I, I kind of, for me to finish on with a book I need to be emotionally invested and I really struggled to become emotionally invested in Christopher. I actually really understand that and I think I did too but I think I was so drawn in by the writing style and how different it was that that's the thing that kept me hooked long enough to then Mm. care about him as a character so I totally get that if you're the writing style you find a bit difficult off-putting coupled with like it is hard to understand him and his perspectives and the way he is in the world like yeah. that does is sort of two layers that make it very tricky and maybe because of the context that I read it in and I always already kind of had like a bad taste oh, it's it gonna just, have a school flavor no matter yeah. when you read it or so it just became it. it was it became like repetitive and maybe the yeah. list and the voice I don't want to say gimmicky but it was just a bit too much at the end because I wasn't in it fair and also um acknowledging that like I don't have Asperger's so I actually don't know whether this feels like a realistic portrayal of what it might be like as well like whether it is gimmicky and not inappropriate but you know maybe it's not the best portrayal I'm not actually sure I should read more into whether that is a realistic I think yeah because I I remember (laughs) in school (laughs) I remember trying to research a bit of that apparently that's interesting that he said it wasn't about someone with mm. Asperger's because I remember there being a big argument that he didn't do any research before. Yeah, so this interview came out in 2009. Yeah, is and that the, where he said he didn't do any? Yeah, and the book came so out that in 2003, was so it was, what, five, six years after the book was released. Yeah. And I wonder whether it was, A, in response to that. Yeah. Or B, it could have been genuine yeah. and in response to that. Because, yeah. I mean, it is fair that the publishers are the ones that work on the blurbs and the book covers and all of that kind of stuff. They but take also, their own experience from it, yeah. The author would sign off on it, but irrelevant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, okay. I do think it's, I, I do think try it because it is so individual. It's also very short. So and I know, hate it, it's like. I fine. know so many people who love this book. It just wasn't my flavour. When we first started the podcast and we were doing the first episode about like the books that we think everyone would love, I asked a few different friends what book they would 
like mm. the number one book that they would recommend to anyone regardless of yeah. any sort of variables. And one of my friends said this book. So interesting. It's so interesting to hear that you didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just shows, I think this is a good episode for showing how subjective reading is. Like, <laughs> so true. You know, yeah. two, pe- two different people read the same book and have exactly. completely different experiences on, on opposite it. opposite sides yeah. of the spectrum. Yeah. And it's hard for me to not like a book. So maybe something was just like these not... were literally the only two books you could choose from my list. It like was so entire sweet. book of like hundred. Yeah, it's like you have four hundred and fifty books to choose from, and you could barely find I mean, two. I hadn't read a lot of them. Oh yeah, fair because I've like not read a lot of really obvious classics and stuff, which is really bad. That's yeah, maybe classics can be a lot more polarizing. Yeah, I think that there's yeah true. I hate a lot of classics. I think I avoid them. Mm. Which we've established fair, I haven't like, read Emma, so yeah, you know, yeah. This is a this is an ongoing issue for me. But you bought it for me. Thank you for buying it for me. Oh my god, I will no. read it. It's on my list. I just have to continue to panic read all of the library books that I continue to put on hold. Yeah, I think I, I read that when you're in a space of not. I think it'll be a good winter one. Ooh. Like being cozy and like yes. rugged up. You know, English countryside. Well, obviously not English countryside. Oh, right. It's set there. I was like, I can't go to the English countryside. It's COVID. We're not allowed to fly. I was like, just into, do you not know what's going on? You can transport yourself through the power of Jane Austen. Through the power of words. (laughs) Okay, what's your other, your last book that this is going to be a very big chat? This is another devastating one, but I think I understand it a bit more. So. Heartburn by Nora Ephron. Sorry, I can't stop laughing because <laughs> this is the one that, like, yeah, anyway. Emma hates this book. <laughs> like, hey, actually, in my little notes I made before <laughs> we recorded, in caps lock, I wrote, I hated this book, full stop. <laughs> I think I didn't write too much else aside from that, just that in all caps. <laughs> I acknowledge, I think Nora Ephron is a better screenwriter and yes. journalist than she is novelist. But oh. I still love this book. Okay, I think she's a better screenwriter. I also don't like her journalism. Oh uh, yeah, I like her movies, but I don't yeah, like you just any of read her writing. That? Yeah, is that not enough to go? On? No, you can't judge someone's entire journalism career on one article. What are you talking about? I mean, that is her best article, so I don't oh, know fuck. how much you yeah, would no, like not. her others. I think it's it's like a litmus test. Like I haven't done yeah. enough reading of her journalistic yeah. work to probably categorically say that, but it's enough of an indicator yeah. that I'm. I would likely I, like yeah, her work. Maybe stay away. <laughs> but Heartburn is basically the retelling of the breakdown of her second marriage. So she finds out that her husband cheats on her, seven months pregnant. Pretty traumatic. The fallout from that. I mean, we've talked about Nora Ephron's voice. It's very individual. It's like acerbic and wry and kind acerbic's of... Acerbic's a good description. And this book in particular, like, is very cynical. Like, she's yeah. clearly very hurt, very embarrassed, very angry. So it's a fictionalised version of, yeah. her, like, her real personal experience where yeah. it very closely mirrors her <laughs> actual life where you're like, it's, it's, she basically didn't want to yeah. tag autobiography onto <laughs> it, but it's a memoir. It's basically, yeah, it's yeah. basically a she memoir. She changed the names. That's, like, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because she was married to Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein. Who's that? The Watergate journalist. Oh, shit. Yeah. So it's interesting with this, if you know, like, the cultural... Yeah, and I mean, I really respect Nora Ephron because I do think she was a powerhouse and she mm. definitely paved the way for a lot of female journalists. Like, she yeah. didn't give a lot of shits. She kind of broke the glass ceiling, mainly for white women. But, like, you know, yeah. I think she did do a lot of work. So I really respect This book has some career. questionable feminism oh. issues, though. 
Yeah, I do remember feeling like this book does not did not date well. It came out in 1983, and yeah. you can fucking tell. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, in a bad way, you can tell. <laughs> yeah, there are some really questionable parts. I think there was some racismy bits in there. Oh too, yeah, the from father's memory, ex-wife. It yeah, was not great. But I do. I just. It's a short book. It is. It's very short. And it's kind of interspersed with, so basically Rachel, the the protagonist, is a cookbook author. So she kind Same of inters... Yeah, I know. What a job. Um, and she interspersed the book with recipes. Yes, so and they I kind of cook the recipes. Yeah. That's the only part of the book I liked. <laughs> so it's really interesting. It's She uses food a certain way to both comfort herself, but also it tells a bigger story. So I thought it was really interesting in that way. I, I love her voice. I really I do. I fucking hate her voice. I find her elitist. <laughs> I feel like her writing lacks any self-awareness of her privilege or her situation in a broader context. I just, I just, I think because of that, I didn't feel any emotional connection to the main character. I think that's been my issue with both this and my brilliant friend is it's probably more a reflection of me and the way I interpret writing in an emotional sense yeah and I feel like I definitely need to feel quite strongly connected to the characters in the book to care about them exactly and to feel that sense of empathy for their situation and if that's not there for me I really just it's a slog and I just struggle to get into it or to like care at all about what they're going through yeah if you're just not gelling with it yeah everyone talks about this being this really emotionally intense book and I just found it a bit distant and cold like I actually didn't find obviously did you find it funny parts of it <laughs> see i think it's really funny but the ability to take this really devastating find it that like heartbreaking thing and turn it into like making light of it being no. not the bright side but like seeing the funny side of it imagine being cheated on seven oh, months pregnant ridiculous i don't know i think i um, would be a bitch as well <laughs> oh totally and i actually think that this again is an indication of me mm. and i think this is something that i think i've perhaps touched touched on before a little bit when it comes to classics in the I think I struggle with writing styles that are from a different era or generation to the ones mm. we're growing up in. Yeah. I find it more difficult because it is written in a slightly different way than the way we would talk or Agreed. explain things now. And yeah. I think that that's often the disconnect for me that I like it take it's like an extra yeah. barrier and I do feel like because this came out in the early 80s. Mm the way she writes about emotions and her experiences and even her relationship is very different to how I think contemporary fiction would be written. Yeah. And I feel like that is definitely probably the first hurdle I had to cross and struggled with that one. That's a, I, And I think that's a big point of difference yeah. between us because I love that, whereas you struggle yeah, to get into that. Yeah, I really, like, can't get... I don't know, I have to concentrate extra hard. And I and I understand that because it, it does throw you off a bit. Yeah. I think that's that's what it is, right? It's like when you're watching a movie and then something just doesn't sit right and it kind of pulls you out of the experience, a.k.a. any Quentin Tarantino movie and his ridiculous cameos. What? Every time he cameos in his own movies, I'm like, ugh, that immediately took me out of the film and the narrative. But do you not like them as a whole? I hate Quentin Tarantino, but I love some of his movies. Okay, I like Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction, incredible. Django Unchained, very... Yeah. Interesting. Also, why the fuck did he give himself an Australian accent that was atrocious? <laughs> this makes no That's sense. That's what takes me out of a bad well, Australian I also just think accent. he's a really bad actor. And it's yeah. like, stop being so self-important and egotistical that you think people give a shit enough about you as a person <laughs> to see you in your fucking movie. Yeah, the damn I'm Get sure. off screen. Gosh. Get back into the director's chair. I understand that. Tangent. Rage <laughs> tangent. Sorry about getting so angry. But it is interesting how much 
someone can get away with if you have a strong voice. Yes. And I feel like we've discussed in other episodes, that's definitely a blind spot for me. I think you're a bit more discerning in that way. (laughs) I think I'm just a little bit more... Critical is not the right word. Judgmental is probably a better word. And I think discerning. That maybe that's a nice way of putting it. Um, I, I think I just, yeah, I think it lacked something for me in that book. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but it, it felt emotionally cold and distant. But I also think that that's a generational difference in the way we discuss yeah. and process our emotions as well. Interesting. I think we're a highly emotional generation. Yeah. Taught to think and feel a lot of different things and be really open that, about yeah. that. And I think that that's clearly like she was using sarcasm and humor as a way of to like cover how processing. Hurt she was. Yeah. yeah. Which I think would still happen, but in a maybe a more honest way now. That's a really good analysis of it. Do you think? Yeah. Okay. It makes total sense. Just talking through my feelings is yeah. thoughts are popping into my head. And no, I think that's, and I understand why that might be a bit yeah. hard to invest in almost. Yeah, exactly. Like to care about. I still think you should watch the movie. I do want to watch the movie because I didn't realise it had Meryl Streep and like I'll watch anything that has Meryl Streep in yeah, it because of course. Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson I think. Also like two powerhouse actors and yeah. music by Carly Simon. What the fuck? As soon as I read that I was like me and yeah. watch this immediately. Yeah. All the Nora Ephron interiors. Oh again. Dream. That Instagram account is Dream. the best. Yeah. Jump maybe maybe try the movie. Yeah, I think I will. All right, I feel like this is definitely. I'm, like, I'm not such a book person. I've never watched, never loved the TV shows or the movies as much. But books I hate. Maybe that's my lane. They're the ones I need to watch the movies or TV show versions. Yeah, it's a bit more palatable, like yeah. you said. Soundtrack by Carly Simon. I mean, come on. Yeah, perfect. Um, I'm gonna find an Nora Ephron book or article that you like. Also, <laughs> is this like I your will goal find in life? It. I will find. You're it. like there will be one. There because must if be you one. like her her movies, there's got to be something in there. But I watched her movies when I was a lot younger. I wonder whether it's just me becoming old and cynical. Oh, you've got mail holds up. Really? How have oh, you yeah. watched that in years? Fucking uh, Meg Ryan. That's like one of my favorites. And that is queen. Yeah. Also, the interiors of that show. <laughs> also, like fuck off that anyone could afford that apartment in New York. <laughs> it's New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. And as like a failing bookstore owner. Yeah, no. Okay, so the other book that I genuinely actually loved, but also I think because of the time I read it, mm-hmm. um, was Tomorrow When the War Began by John Marsden. So it was a book series, but I think we'll talk mostly about the first book. Yeah. Um so these were That's one of my favourite <laughs> Oh my god, it's such an <laughs> Ellen Fred Day moment. But like a way less classy, like well written version. Um these were my favourite book series as a teenager, obviously outside of Harry Potter. Um, like I was obsessed with these books. It's such like a cultural touchstone. Yeah. I feel like as Australians yes. at our age, yes. these were very important books. Yeah, because the first book came out in the early 90s, I think around like 1993. Okay. Um, obviously, I didn't read it when it came out because it would have been like five. Um, but <laughs> I read impressed. it as, an, uh, yeah, as a, you know, a young starter. Um, I think I read them when I was like early, mid-teens. Mm. which I think is kind of the, that's the target demographic for these books anyway so it's kind that, of the I think perfect, that's perfect age yeah um so I haven't reread them since then so entirely possible that these <laughs> have not held up and I would hate them um I was also so disappointed by the film adaption of oh this. yeah I love Caitlin Stacey as an actress I just really didn't like this have they made one I think film? they only made one because it should because those books are so popular right. so it's interesting that the film flopped yeah, so I think I loved 
the range of characters. I also loved the intensity of what they were experiencing, like going through war as Mm. teenagers. Um, I think part of it for me was also that it was set in regional Australia and I grew up in country South Australia. So I actually think that Uh, in a similar way as Eleanor Ferrante, we had that personal connection I feel like I actually had that because there were so few examples of regional Australia portrayed in any pop culture particularly when we were younger that I think this was one of the few examples and it was not in a like oh they're like loser hicks you know it was it was actually to their strength like they survived because of yeah, yeah it's like the skills and their upbringing are the only reasons that they got through what they were getting through. Oh, that's and so, so it interesting. And so felt this, like, empowering, like, fuck yeah, I'm a badass because I grew up with a very different experience than people in, like, city areas. Oh, my God, yes, that's, yeah. Yeah, so perfect. I feel like that's a big part of it for me. Um, Wait, it's, it still feels so, like, formative to you. Yeah, it really did. I think because I read them so young, mm. but I liked reading about um, their strengths and, like, it, they were quite strong female characters in the book as well. That is one really – and especially yeah. written in the 90s. Yeah, unusual for that Yeah, That's Yeah, I just – I liked – I remember being – reading them, being forced to contemplate this idea of Australia being invaded and having to go to war to defend ourselves – I think it made me at an age when you're very self-obsessed. It made me oh, yeah. step outside of myself in True. a little, probably a little way in hindsight, <laughs> but like enough to realize how lucky I was, how privileged I was yeah. to not be experiencing any conflict of any kind. I mean, in retrospect, I think being white definitely shapes that luck and privilege, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have acknowledged or understood that at the time I was reading them. And also the books are very white and I think that they might not have aged well in certain depictions of certain characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I really loved these books. So I think my problem with this is that I just read it at the wrong time. Right. I think if I read it as a teenager, I would have been like, yes. Do I think it's a book series to read as an adult? Because I read it as an adult. Because it's I kind of missed the boat on it. They're this, it's this massive series that Huge. means so much to people. So I'm like, yeah. of course, there's all this hype around mm. it. I have to read it mm. like as an Australian, as like yeah. a female growing up in this time. So I guess all that hype surrounding it, it just was disappointing in that way yeah that's fair it was I think it's yeah probably age and yeah um because maybe that already, expectation versus reality sometimes yeah a couple years ago so like oh, early yeah. early to mid 20s right and because it's written in journal entries of a 17 year old girl yes. and so I was like oh god also the journal entries and the author like John Marsden would have been a middle-aged man when he wrote yeah, these that's, books. So, so there, there was, was probably – and I think that there's that's – There's a disconnect There's there. a component of where I don't think it's aged well mm-hmm. in the way that we've grown and matured. The, what we expect from authors when they um, write like about the complexity of a teenage yes. girl now, I think exactly. I expect a lot more. That's true. So reading it, I just think it's the timing that I just completely missed the boat yeah. on, which I'm sad about. And I think as an adult as well, I kind of wanted it more to be about who are these people that are invading it? Why are they invading it? That was definitely a component that even at the time I was like, there's literally zero information about any of this. That's the interesting part. I mean, they get into the context throughout the book series, but like minimally. Enough to like get away with giving certain experiences and situations context and outside yeah. of that there's like no information yeah so and you're I, like why did they invade? so I was like <laughs> I need something else yeah. to hold on to yeah I just don't need these teenagers telling me about their crushes 
But as a teenager, it's like, oh my god, give me. I know all it's of like, crushes. of course, of course. <laughs> like head about, like the war is secondary to their love life, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and it, there were some quite violent graphic scenes yeah. throughout the series, but they were definitely. I mean, they're out on their own, like, and they deal with death, like quite regularly. So you know, yeah, there's definitely those. It's an extreme. So I wouldn't scenario. necessarily recommend reading it as an adult, but maybe if you've got like teen kids in your life, it could yes. be a series that they might enjoy. Good. Yeah, it is such an important. Yeah, it's a classic it's a Australian series. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I wanted to like it, but I just didn't. That's how I felt about the two books I hated. <laughs> oh my god, you just gave me the best death step. <laughs> I will. Uh, that was rude. <laughs> I've got to turn you around on Elena Ferrante. I don't right. know how I'm gonna. That do is it. the one I feel I've got the most hope for being able to like. I think. I think Nora Ephron lost cause, but <laughs> Elena Ferrante. Yeah, possibly. I think. Watch a TV series and then go back yeah. and read the books. What have you been reading, watching, etc. that you've loved? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm actually a massive reality TV tragic. Fuck yes. I love it. Give me, me too. all the trash. I'm also one of those annoying people that thinks it's like culturally important to the way we live and a, it is. a big reflection of it. I hate the elitism of like yes. downplaying the importance of reality TV shows and that sense of like we're stupid for exactly. watching them. Like I know it's scripted, but I don't give a shit. I want to tune out. Like Yes, it's a contrived environment, but those reactions yes. are real. Yes. And it's a study on human psychology. 100%. Anyway. <laughs> We're I could anthropologists, go, guys. Yeah, I could go. <laughs> I mean, most complex female middle-aged characters are in Real Housewives. What can I say? I only watch a handful of episodes of different ones. They're great. There's this new podcast that I'm really loving. It's called Ooh. Spectacle, an unscripted history of reality TV. And it goes into, like, the birth of reality TV and cultural importance and how, yes, culture has influenced reality TV, but reality TV has also influenced the way we live. Oh, my God, this sounds so good. Yeah, so it covers The Real Housewives, obviously, um, (laughs) The Bachelor, Survivor, Real World, and it's like a deep dive with interviews into people who are involved in it. It's really fascinating. This sounds so good. Yeah, and it is. It supports our argument that it's important because I really do believe that it is. Same. We're not highbrow, lowbrow people. I actually really resent that. I think all art is art. Yeah. And there's this, I think it's also tied up with classism around like what is considered high and lowbrow. And just because something costs a bajillion dollars doesn't automatically mean that it's relevant or reflective of society or important like equally like street art you know never used to be considered cool or worthy of Mm. being considered art and I think that's definitely shifted but that's shifted because people have pushed for that perspective to change exactly that's like a perfect example of that Mm. so yeah I recommend spectacle if you're even slightly interested in definitely yeah it's really good okay so recommend gonna listen how about you um, I'm recommending a book this episode, um, one that I've recently read called Small Acts of Disappearance by Fiona Wright. Mm-hmm. It's not a light recommendation um, and I do think it's applicable to everyone. Like I, I think that anyone, regardless of their first-person experience with what she talks about, would benefit from it. But she um, – so it's nonfiction. It's a collection of essays um, about her battle with eating disorders um, sort of how they started and how she experienced it um, as she went along. I think it's really important for people that haven't ever experienced an eating disorder to understand the psychology behind it. I think um, lots of people 
think about um, the physical side effects or the physical obviousness of eating disorders without realising that even if you physically look fine or normal, in inverted commas, that you might still have all of the layers of the psycholo- psychological issues going on underneath. Yeah. Um, and that it's primary, it's a, it's a mental illness. Um, Is it almost like a memoir? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's almost chronological of like how she got it. And she got it under quite unusual circumstances. She had um, like a physical illness that was causing her to throw up all the time. And it went oh. undiagnosed for almost a decade because doctors couldn't figure out what it was. And so many people just assumed she was doing it intentionally. And she actually wasn't, but it then morphed into an eating disorder as a way of controlling her environment. Yeah, that's um, a key thing. It's about control. Yeah, so that's why um, it's mainly perfectionists that experience eating disorders. Um, and it's that's why it's also typically teenagers because it's at a time when you often don't have any autonomy or independence mm. and the only thing you have the ability to control in your life is perhaps how you eat or what you eat. Yeah. Yeah, it was just – it was quite confronting. Like as someone that's had an eating disorder, it, it I would definitely give this a trigger warning if you're still struggling to – read literature about it but it was just so refreshing I feel like there's so many books that either skim the surface or don't really break it down in any real way or it doesn't feel realistic and Mm. this did for once it was actually just like really lovely and I liked that she talked about how she wasn't sure if she would ever be cured which I think a lot of people just assume is a thing and some survivors like talk about but it is actually just really complicated you know like you deal with it every day regardless of what you look like Mm. on the outside Wow, that sounds really powerful. Yeah, but it's it's a, it is heavy. Yeah, <laughs> this fair. is not. I yeah. mean, it's yeah. Yeah, but, but it's important. Just, yeah, it feels like yes, it was really validating. But I think it would be really eye-opening on the flip side if you've not experienced this firsthand. Yes, mm. love that. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Oh, wow. We're ending the episode on such a fucking downer. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm like, man, we're serious. <laughs> Happy reading. <laughs> no. um, so we'll put all of our recommendations and the books we've chatted about in the show notes. Oh, and um, whose side are you on? Oh, yes. Please tell us because <laughs> also I've completely prepared that I'm going to be on the outside of no, all I of these. No, I think that might be because <laughs> we've, we've hit on something that if there's a personal significance yes. there you're obviously more inclined to love something or for it to mean something. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope we hope you enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Um, And happy reading. Happy reading. Bye. See ya. (laughs)